Hey, there's a new name to this channel in case you didn't hear it in the pregame music. Uh, in recognition of Pride Month 2021, we talk today a lot about gender fluidity. Ladies and gentlemen, the girls are not all right. Your daughters are being hunted by this nonsense and you need to know that there is, there is an attack and there is a hope. There is a hope for you. Plus, in the life of David, we talk about how to survive a subversive civil revolution. It sounds more necessary than ever before. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. I am beloved, the man they call David, the son of a Jesse, the John I slay it, the heart full of king, three stones in a sling. I'm dancing my clothes off to the sound of the beat. Ah, welcome to The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Yeah. It's the deep end with Tim Hatch, and and there is a new channel in town. We've changed the name of the channel. Look down below; you will see it. It's uh, Tim Hatch Live, YouTube.com/slash Tim Hatch Live. No longer the Deep End TV. So this is changing a little bit of what we are doing. The Deep End is going to be a container of Tim Hatch Live on YouTube. And by the way, that brings me to this idea: like the video below, click that thumbs up for me. Do me a favor and subscribe if you already aren't. Give the beard some love, and then make sure you click that little notification bell. Ring, ring to make sure that you get updated on your smartphone or smart device every time that we go live. So yeah, let me get back to this. Tim Hatch Live is the new YouTube channel. And the reason is just for uh, conformity. Conformity to one overarching uh, you know, presentation. And the deep end is going to be a segment of Tim Hatch Live. And then I got a new segment coming up on Tim Hatch Live YouTube. Uh, make sure that you Check us out at all of our locations, too, on Twitter and uh, Instagram. They're all now Tim Hatch Live. That's what makes this great. It's all the same thing. Anyway, Father's Day, Sunday, what are you going to do? You're going to get Dad a book. You're going to get them this book, and you're going to tell him I love you. Here's my pastor's book. Here's, here's Tim Hatch's book, Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. I have a copy of it right here, and I only share it with you visu visually so that you can see how thin it is, men and daughters and sons see how thin it is that's the that's a book that's written for dad and the and the words are very spaced out so very easy sorry the, <laughs> the lighting is too bright very easy for men to read head over to timhatchlive.com books you can also pick up a tumblr there uh it looks like this i heard that they were sold out and i'm sorry about that but i also heard that they are on their way back in stock so make sure you pick up the tumblr because it makes everything taste that much better. <laughs> the beard. It's just the effect of the beard. Anyway, at youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live, that I know you've already subscribed to and clicked the thumbs up and notification bell, there's a new segment coming. And I'm very excited about this. Two Thursdays from now. It is called 10, 10 Questions with Tim. And it's going to be Thursdays, 12 noon. It's you, me, your questions, fast, fun. Two weeks from two days from now. So... That's 16 days from now. Send your questions to info at timhatchlive.com or just comment below in the YouTube channel. That would be great. And let me know down below too, if you would, where are you watching from? I like to hear the state, location. And let me know also if you are a deep end liver or are you a deep end post watcher? Like, do you watch it on your own time? I'd like to find that out too. Anyway, time for some news. Are you ready for this? Lots to talk about. Let's head into it. Deep end news. Okay, it's time to talk about pastors getting arrested once again. Pastors getting arrested. And where else but Alberta, Canada? What is going on in Alberta, Canada? What is in the water? Are these people just so cold they hate each other and they hate Christianity that much? 
So I saw this tweet yesterday from Pastor Tim Stevens. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, and he tweeted out on Monday, uh, June 14th, 2021, just got a tip that the police may be on their way to arrest me. Why? I continue to lead our church to worship Jesus as Lord over every earthly power. More to come. Pray, brothers and sisters. Stand firm. Keep the faith. And what he said is 100% true. Here's a couple of pics. The police showed up at his house on Monday morning, yesterday, and there's his child hugging and begging it not to happen. And then there he is on the right getting arrested by the Alberta Canada police force and hauled off to jail. And he faces arraignment, I think, next Monday. Um, I wanted to show you a little bit more about this from uh, a website that I frequent called Not The Bee. You got to check, check out this website, notthebee.com, uh, from the founders of the Babylon Bee. And, and here's the title of the article. Here we are. Another Canadian pastor was arrested after a police helicopter. A police helicopter found his church's new secret location. He was hauled off to jail in front of his family. <laughs> um, oh, this is unbelievable. Anyway, it skips down. He's the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary, Alberta. I want to just skip down here. Stevens had been arrested briefly last month, but the charges were dropped when authorities realized they had forgotten to serve the pastor with the court order they were accusing him of violating. Classic bureaucratic mistake. Or as my friend... Um, uh, Ronald Reagan likes to say the nine most terrifying words of the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Anyway, on Sunday, uh, a police helicopter discovered Stephen's congregation. So he goes underground. He can't meet in his building that they paid for with their own money and tithes and offerings. And so they go outside to have outdoor services and a police helicopter tracks them down, discovers where they're meeting in their secret location. And the authorities don't say why they're using a police helicopter a police helicopter that probably cost the city of uh, Calgary a ton of money to find those pesky Christians daring to worship Jesus outside. They don't tell them why, and it sounds a lot like North Korea, like it says here in the article. It led to the congregation being surrounded by police cruisers. Police did not stop the time of worship, but observed and then arrested Stevens on Monday at his home. Man, what on earth? You can go and check out this video. It's gut-wrenching. I don't even want to play it because... It's uh, the police come to his house. The parent, the kids are crying their eyes out. It's very hard to watch. This is from Rebel News. Uh, they have been tracking this nonsense since the beginning. Anyway, check it out yourself because I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I could not watch that much of that video because this is just insane. And so, you know, Pastor Tim Stevens is getting arrested, right? Pastor Tim Stevens is getting arrested for holding an outdoor worship service in the province of Alberta, Canada. While the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, is doing this with the other G7 leaders yesterday. This is like almost at the exact same time. He's over there in London or in Britain, sorry, celebrating maskless outside, not six feet apart from uh, the Prime Minister of England, Prime Minister of uh, South Africa, Prime Minister of all these other countries, and of course, my beloved President Biden. Uh, and there he is, <laughs> flaunting himself out there with his gaping mouth wide open while ministers in his country, Christian ministers are being hunted by police helicopters and arrested. Uh, it's unreal what's happening here. This is why I constantly say to you that we've got to have biblical wisdom and knowledge more than ever before. And I want to put it up on the screen one more time because it's the theme of these last few weeks. We have a biblical obligation to weigh everything we hear and must rely on the spirit to give us wisdom and clarity and never ever just blindly follow the science or the loudest voices. 
You know, it's just getting worse and worse, guys, for their, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Canada. And I just want to say, thank God, you know, uh, this is, I don't have anything to show you on the screen, but thank God that the Biden administration, I got to give them a thumbs up for this. They did tell their Department of Justice to vigorously defend the freedom of religion in this country. Uh, and that brings me to uh, a new uh, piece of furniture here in the deep end set behind me you might be seeing something is missing over my left shoulder no longer do we have the shelf of shame because I thought you know what enough shame right let's talk about peace and on that shelf we have the four presidents uh, the four president previous presidents oh no I'm sorry not the four previous we have the three previous Joe Biden President Trump and President Obama and then way back hearkening way back to the days of early republicanism Abraham Lincoln. And I just thought, you know what, let's change the shelf of shame to the shelf of civility. How about that? Yeah, let's give peace a chance and, and let's 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 try to be civil. Now, I will talk about issues on the deep end, news items that might fire you up and get you all worked up. I don't intend to. I really just intend to give you biblical wisdom and biblical knowledge so that you know how to respond to the crazy because the crazy is getting worse. And so don't believe every spirit, John says, test the spirits to see where they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I want to talk to you about another false prophet, another false religious movement, but it's going to take some time to get there. And we're going to get there. And then I'm going to show you the hope of Jesus in the midst of that new and uh, powerful worldly religion that has that has bewitched the culture of the West. But, but, to get, but to get there, we've got to first do a little segment that I'm bringing back called Ridiculous News. Ridiculous. Yes, out of the category of Ridiculous News, uh, today we are highlighting... In keeping with Pride Month, June, the topic of gender fluidity. Since our world refuses to stop talking about our genitals through the month of June, I have decided to counter these lies with truth all June long. And that's why a lot of the news stories are about the LGBT movement. But I want to do more than just rail like an old Baptist preacher. I want you to know facts from their own side from even some cultural observers who are not Christian and are seeing the nonsense. So ridiculous news, okay? Out of the christianpost.com, Disney reveals Marvel character Loki is gender fluid. Okay. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in today's science generation. I can't wait to show you what I just filmed. Yeah, they are always finding something new that is so weird and crazy. So evidently, in the name of cultural diversity, Disney has decided to uh, reveal that Loki from the Thor series is now gender fluid. And he's evolving, the report says. He needs to evolve. That's who he is. Uh, he's very important in this cultural moment to... Uh, propel the rights of sexual minorities on and on and it goes you know same same diatribe different article and uh but interestingly enough you have to understand that there is a a force behind this it's uh, in the article it talks about this in, in 2019 a major gay rights organization the gay and lesbian alliance against defamation uh, organization they started pushing for 20 percent of all television characters to be lgbt 
by the year 2025. 20 freaking percent of all television characters to be LGBT. Do you think that they're kind of getting obnoxious about this? It's getting ridiculous. Why? The unending push. Uh, They make up, I think, about 5% or even lower than the population, and they want 20% representation on television. They're not fighting for 20% black representation, not Asian representation, not not Latino representation. No, 20% of the genital people the alphabet people, right? And it's getting obnoxious. Now, I can hear you say, some of you, more skeptical, more libertarian-leaning Christians on the other side of this camera, and you're saying the following. This is what you're saying. You're saying, what's the big deal? It's not hurting you. It's not hurting me. Just let them be who they are. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that on two fronts. First, for the last 18 months, the most pro-LGBT people have also been the most pro, more often than not, I'm not going to so generalize it as 100%, but I would say the higher number of the more, uh, the, the LGBT population and the progressive and the secular wing of America has been the most pro-lockdown, pro-mask, and now pro-vaxxer people in the country that tell you exactly how you should have lived for the last 18 months. The same people who want to say what a person does in the privacy of their own home doesn't affect you, and so you should just be quiet about it have spent the last 19 months controlling the entire government and and the entire society over a really bad flu season. And you can't have it both ways. Don't you understand it? There is not tolerance. There is one-way thought in this environment. And, and, And so that's the first front. Here's the second front. Because what a culture celebrates will get repeated. Hear that again. What a culture celebrates will get repeated. If we celebrate this ad nauseum as we are doing right now and in the cultural West, if we are going to celebrate LGBT, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, gender fluidity, and Hollywood's going to get on board and the media is going to get on board and the news is going to get on board and the university is going to get on board and the government's going to get on board and everyone's going to get on board except for Bible-believing Christians, right? Uh, you're going to see the increase of this kind of not just acceptance of the lifestyle, but the experience of the lifestyle. And it's going to even be experienced by people who are not genuinely in the lifestyle. They just are looking for all the needs of the human condition to be met, and they're looking in the wrong place. And that brings me out of Deep End News and into Deep End Book Review, because I want you to look at something with me today. This I've got a book I'm reading. I'm flying through it. It's a fantastic book. you got to get the book. Let's head into Deep End Book Review, and I'm going to show you what I mean. Okay, so it's called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters by Abigail Schreier. Who is Abigail Schreier? She's, a, she's not a conservative Christian. I don't even think she's a conservative, honestly. She's a journalist. She's an author, and she investigates facts. She went to Oxford, Yale, Columbia, and she's done a lot of work in the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and other publications. If you have a daughter, particularly a prepubescent daughter, you need to get this book. This book is phenomenal well-researched, well-documented, and I can't recommend it highly enough. She spends a great deal of time in the book talking about the fact that the male brain, the female brain operate differently. And everybody with the brain already knows this, but the people who are so open-minded their brains fell out don't. Uh, Let me bring them back to reality if any of them are listening. Um, 
everybody with a brain knows that males and females think differently and they respond differently to stimuli, whether it be good or bad or negative stimuli. She talks about how the teenage girls are conditioned. They are scientifically engineered from birth. They are more emotionally and mentally programmed to handle problems in groups, in groups. That's what teenage girls do, and especially young teenage girls. Far more often than boys. Boys want to do it themselves. Now, here's the problem. The smartphone generation has eliminated the need, in many respects, for group activity. Now, instead of young girls being in groups where they would, you know, braid each other's hair and paint each other's nails. Now they're just comparing themselves against each other on Instagram constantly. And many of them cannot live up to the hype of their friends or their supposed acquaintances from high school or junior high. This damages their emotions. This damages their life. They find themselves in depression and anxiety far more often than boys. And they look for a supportive voice from the countless options of what Abigail Schreier identifies as female to male transitioners on YouTube. And there's tons of them. And I actually researched a lot of them. (laughs) Not, not good. Lots of crazy stuff on there. Endless content, endless offerings of quote unquote salvation through gender transition. Now, just think about it. You're a young girl. You might not be as good looking as the other girls in school. And there they are posting their duck face selfies on Instagram constantly. Or they've got a rich family that takes them all over the world. And they post their, you know, geotagged locations constantly. And there you are. And you're struggling with your identity. And you're struggling with who you are. And you look at yourself. You can never match up to that beautiful girl that all the boys are crazy over in school. And so you wonder, you know, how do I find my value? And if you're not careful you'll find your value in the wrong place. So she goes over in this book uh, on the facts of the transgender craze. It's causing suicidal tendencies to surge between uh, uh, amongst young girls. Uh, girl, teenage girls are three times more likely than that of boys to experience depression. Three times more likely. Oh, and by the way, the depression epidemic amongst our teens has skyrocketed to um, 37% of teenagers in our country, almost almost one in three, no, over one in three of our teenagers struggle with depression and three times more often it's girls than boys. So just think about that. It's incredible what's happening to the girls. Again, if you have a little girl, you gotta get this book. The problem, the culprit is unlimited, unhindered smartphone access. And she makes no bones about this because again, Girls used to get together and giggle and talk and gossip about boys and all that kind of stuff. They don't any longer. They get isolated and they get on smartphones and then they feel even worse and more depressed. And she goes back to this other fact that anorexia cutting uh, and other depression tendencies have spiked since the arrival of the smartphone. And then she talks about puberty because this is a big deal. Puberty for girls is a far bigger deal than for boys. And she readily acknowledges that. She writes, puberty is also when today's transgender craze among girls typically takes hold. Girls feel alienated from their body, pummeling them from from the inside. The stress brought on by puberty is age old. What is new is today's adolescence relative inability to bear it and the constant presence of apparent alternatives, i.e. YouTube channels with uh, male to, uh, I'm sorry, female to male transitioners. And then we're saturated by a quick fix a quick fix era marked by the conviction that no one should ever endure any manner of discomfort 
Ritalin for inattention, opioids for pain, Xanax for nerves, Lexapro for the blues, testosterone for female puberty. You got to get the book. It's, it's this important. I don't do book reviews unless you need to get the book. And this is a book you got to get. Uh, again, especially if you have a young girl. You have to protect them. You have to protect them from, from what's going on, the, the enemy of their souls that's out to get them and lead them into a false ideology. It's a, it's a rapidly growing problem. It's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And actually, there was a Brown University about this, about the, um, you know, the unparalleled growth among, among preteen and teenage girls who are experiencing, quote unquote, gender dysphoria suddenly, like out of nowhere. And this paper was published, uh, written by a, a professor named Lisa Littman. It was published in Brown University Scientific Journal. It was then canceled out of the journal because it hindered the LGBT movement's goals and priorities and was considered hateful. They demanded she retract it. She wouldn't retract it. They said, okay, well, then you better re-research your findings. And she went and re-researched her findings and found the exact same findings were true. And they republished the paper. But just think about that. Brown University wanted to cancel a scientific paper that proved that there was a huge element of social media pressure that encouraged non-transgendered girls to believe they were actually transgender girls. So, so just back to the facts here on the screen from the book and from Lisa Littman's study that is published in Brown University, a thousand percent increase has happened in gender dysphoria in the United States among our young girls. In Britain, it's 4,000 percent increase. Uh, since the, since the arrival of the smartphone, by the way, uh, today, 2% of high school students identify as transgender, by the way, that's from, uh, 2018. Yeah. I read an article, uh, recently that said one in six of our teenage students are considering to are, are considering themselves to be LGBT that now, now used to be one in 10,000. Now it's, now it's. 2%, 2 percent, two and one hundred, and maybe even higher than that since 2018. Because COVID-19, what did that do? It just isolated us even further. And poor these poor girls were on their phones all day in lockdown with no real school and no real interaction at all. So you can just imagine that it has only made matters worse for our pubescent teenage girls in this culture. Dr. Lisa Littman in the Brown University, I got a couple other findings from her, a phenomenal study out of Brown University. And, and here's what she realized. Um, she did a survey of 265, 256 parents whose kids had not met the criteria for gender dysphoria in childhood, but suddenly identified as transgender in adolescence. And she said out of that 256 parents survey, 80% of them, uh, their adolescents were biological females. Okay. So 80% of the time this happens to females, not males. Okay. Between uh, around the age of 16, the vast majority had zero indicators of childhood gender dysphoria. So they it came upon them when they were in their uh, years of puberty. Nearly half of them had been formally assessed as academically gifted. So they're smart girls. 70% of the teenagers belonged to a peer group in which one friend at least had also come out as transgender. So it's a social thing. It's a social pressure thing. Find, trying to find acceptance, trying to find meaning and value in family community. And your friend comes out as transgender. Maybe I'm transgender. And then 65% of the teens had increased their social media use and time spent online immediately prior to the announcement of their transgender identity. 60% uh, said the announcement brought a popularity boost, which that's kind of alarming. 60% <laughs> suddenly they're more popular, so they're not going to exactly think it's a bad thing if they're suddenly liked more because of it. 
And then this interesting fact, over 85% of their parents reported supporting gay marriage and 88% of the parents of these girls reported being supportive of transgender rights. So I just want you to un, un, uh, think with me. Let's unpack these stats for a second. They are highly educated. That means they're smart. They're wide. They're, they're knowledgeable. They're knowledgeable. They're seeking the approval of their friends. Okay. They're seeking the approval of created things, people. They are predominantly white, which means, um, did I write, Did I mention that? 90% of the parents were white <laughs> of these transgender, rapid onset, trans, uh, rapid onset gender dysphoric girls. And... Then they are also in a family that supports the redefinition of marriage and transgenderism. Think about those facts. And doesn't the research just prove exactly, I mean exactly, what Paul the Apostle said about the decay of societies that abandon God and worship creation in Romans chapter 1, right? He talks about it in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. They, though they knew God, there was, they knew there was a God. They did not honor him as God. They did not give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And then their foolish hearts were darkened. And think about it, claiming to be wise. Remember, what, what, what did I say? Uh, 70% of them, sorry, no, 47% of them had been assessed as academically gifted. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their flesh, to the lust of their hearts. Like God's like just saying, all right, fine, you don't want me here, have that. Have that. Have this gender dysphoria. Have this, have this, you know, chaos in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. And I feel so terribly sharing this because it's just the reality is that when a culture and when a society, when a people group runs from God, he lets them run in many respects. Gives them up to the dishonoring of their bodies because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creator or their friends rather than the create uh, the creature, their friends, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Head over to... Um, Abigail Schreier's uh, Substack, abigailschreier.substack.com, and read this post called When the State Comes for Your Kids. It's about a Pakistani immigrant named Ahmed, a faithful Muslim whose son was experiencing uh, severe depression, and then it only became worse because of, because of COVID lockdowns, brought his son to the Seattle Children's Hospital, and before he knew it, his son had been diagnosed as gender dysphoric, <laughs> like <laughs> with no signs of it prior to. And the um, hospital said, we don't have to tell you this because he's over the age of 13, but he is gender dysphoric and you need to bring him to the gender clinic. And he was, was taken aback by this, uh, this article, this just a crazy story. He was taken aback by this. And then he asks his psychiatrist friend and his lawyer friend, what should I do? And they say, do not under any circumstances, uh, let them know that you are against their diagnoses. Like, just go with it. Like this, literally his words out of the article, uh, you have to be very careful. This is his friend telling him this. You have to be very, very careful because if you come across as even just a little bit anti-trans or anything, they're going to call the Child Protective Services and you will lose your child. The lawyer friend told him the same. What you want to do is agree with them and take your kid home. When the gender counselors advise you to affirm, go along with it. Just say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, let's take him home and we'll get him to the gender clinic. And that's exactly what he did. Ahmed assured the children's hospital in Seattle. Seattle, Washington, not Seattle, Russia, Seattle, Washington, that he would take his son, 13-year-old boy, to a gender clinic and commence a, his son's transition to a girl. Instead, he left the hospital after telling him he would take him to the gender clinic, packed his stuff, 
got out of Dodge and left the state of Washington. Oh, and by the way, his son is perfectly healthy, a normal teenage boy now. The state is coming for your kids, guys. And you had better be aware of this because this is no longer about tolerance. This is no longer about accepting people. This is about imposing a worldview on you. Now, Abigail Schreier has been uh, at least attempted to be canceled by men's health. They said her book was invalidating the lived experience of trans and non-binary kids and teens. Her remarks uh, sparked calls by Spotify employees to cancel the Joe Rogan podcast episode that she was on. Target briefly stopped selling her book, but then following criticism online, made it available for purchase. And Amazon suspended a campaign for the book as it was being published. There is no end to the intolerance of the progressive secularists. There is no end to the attack on your freedom as a mother or father. And this is not going to stop. This is getting worse and worse. This is why Kevin Hart, the comedian, for heaven's sakes, came out and said, listen, it's getting ridiculous with, with cancel culture. And he, and he said this, quote, when did we get to a point where life was supposed to be perfect, where people were supposed to be perfect? Like, I don't understand that, she says. I don't understand. This is out of Fox News, MSN.com reporting this. I don't expect perfection from my kids. I don't expect it from my wife, friends, employees, because last I checked, the only way to grow up is from effing up. I don't know a kid who hasn't effed up or done some dumb S-H-I-T. And what he's talking about here is there is problem with everybody expecting people to be perfect and no longer biblically perfect. Oh, that's way off. That's way back in our ridiculous intolerant society, right? No, now you've got to be sexually perfect. Now you've got to be ideologically perfect. Now you have to toe the line perfectly or you will be, you will be castigated. You will be verbally, emotionally, societally crucified. And you know what it is, Kevin Hart? You know what it is, everybody out there, all the deep enders? It's a cult. I call it the cult of sexuality. And it's got rules, just like the Ten Commandments. It's got, it's got the same kind of rules. Like rule number one, you have no gods before your sexuality. No, 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 no. Your sexuality is your God. Number two, you will not make a false image of someone's sexuality. No, you will not, right? You, you will not ever cast someone else's sexuality in your own image. You will not take the name slash pronouns of the sexual person in vain. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, these are pretty, pretty accurate, right? You, you must bow down and offer sacrifices to the sexual person. If you, if you misgender, if you offend, if you dare to criticize or critique the beliefs or values of said person who is sexually whatever, you will pay and you will hold feasts to celebrate the sexual desires of others, regardless of your own personal view, such as Pride Month. It's never ending. It's cultish. It's a religion. It's a religion. And it's a religion that has taken hold in American culture and it is not letting go. Now, there's hope. I would be remiss if I did not offer you hope because after all, I'm a Christian pastor and I want to give you hope. Here's the hope. Are you ready? The question, what is God's desire for the homosexual and transgender? Do you know what his desire is? He wants to save them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to bring them to himself. I, I, I bring you to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, idolaters, adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were 
justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Every church in America, you need to hear this, every church in America has these people in it. Every church in America has sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and they have been saved. They have been washed because God can do that. They were formerly those in Corinth, and you better believe in my church, Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, they, there are many in our church who were such as these. God can save. And I bring you then now to a viewer testimony here on the deep end. One of my deep enders, actually the secretary of my church. Her name is Nydia. And I asked her to share her testimony. So she sent it to me and I want to read it to you in full because it is fantastic. And I want you to see how similar her story is to what I just shared with you from Abigail Schreier's book. There is such an amazing correlation. Watch. My journey into LGBTQ plus community was a slow one, underlying almost. My home life was difficult. My father at the time was very verbally and physically abusive, more so towards my mother. One of the pivotal moments in my life was when I heard my mom shout from behind closed doors for help. I ran and I was able to catch her as she was falling to the ground. My dad had punched my mother in the face. I was molested by a family friend. I was almost raped at 18 when I went on a date. The list of ways men hurt me went on and on and on. Depression hit me hard. I self-harmed almost daily and I harbored suicidal thoughts every single day, every day. When I started going to high school, the world of LGBTQ plus was introduced to me through friends. My friends began to call themselves gay and bisexual and lesbian. See there, there it is, my friends. It was a new, it was new. A seed was placed in my mind and it quickly took root. Calling myself bisexual brought me all things that I was missing or at least felt I was. It gave me a community that would protect me and love me and simply because we were all the same. It gave me a purpose. I felt like I was part of something bigger. It gave me security because women had hurt, never hurt me like men had in my life. I had love, a love that no man had ever given me. And above all, I had an identity. I clung on to that identity and I branded myself in every way that I could. My car had a rainbow flag. I posted my coming out story all over social media. I even have a tattoo on my right wrist of the pride flag. If you didn't know me personally, I made sure that the first thing you noticed about me was the fact that I was bisexual. That's all you needed to know about me. I lived this way from when I was 14-ish. There you go. There's the age range. Till I was about 23. And even though living this way fulfilled many of the things I was searching for, it never felt like it was enough. I was still depressed. I still hated myself. I was still alone, always alone, even when I was in a room full of people. And that's when Jesus called me back home. Praise God. On February of 2018, I stepped into Waters Church for the first time. And on that first service I ever went to, the Holy Spirit filled me and brought me to my knees. After the salvation moment, I remember crying and this lady who had been sitting next to me, I don't even remember her being there the whole service, took my hand and led me up for prayer. I haven't seen her since that day, not once. And in my heart, I really believe the Father sent one of his angels for me that day. After that, the fire of the Holy Spirit consumed me. I chased after Jesus with everything, everything I had. I got into small group, into the serve team, and came, and came to every event I could because I was hungry for Jesus, and he was doing mighty works in me. Jesus began to fill areas in my life I didn't know I needed to be filled. He, fill, he healed my hurts that I, did not, you know, did I, that I didn't know needed to be healed. He gave me the love of a father that I didn't always have. He gave me the friendship I always wanted. He gave me security and identity. He gave me purpose. He gave me a family and a community, people I actually, that actually cared about me. One of the biggest, one of the biggest change, I'm sorry, but the biggest change, my sexuality didn't occur to me, uh, had been healed until the weekend after my baptism. In June of 2018, Pastor Tim was doing a series of hot topics. And that weekend it was about homosexuality. And there's this guest speaker who spoke during the service. It suddenly hit me. I haven't had one inkling 
of feeling, romantic or sexual for a female since I had been saved. The Lord saved and healed me from that. It broke all the change. What I love about her testimony here is that she says, listen, I didn't even, I didn't even realize this. I didn't even realize that <laughs> until months after I was saved that I was healed from this desire. I just think about that. The Christian movement does not exist to make homosexuals heterosexual. It exists to bring all people to Jesus. And then Jesus changes them from the inside out. Anyway, it continues. My life has never been the same since then. There is joy in my heart now, a glowing that never goes out. I'm not saying life has been perfect or that it, has been hard, that it hasn't been hard. Life is life. But now Jesus walks with me and I with him. And that, that makes all the difference. Everything I was searching for, every hole in my heart that needed to be filled, every hurt in my soul that needed to be healed has been by my amazing and wonderful Savior, Jesus. Wow. I don't know how to move on from that because that is just amazing. And that is why Christians, as you navigate these treacherous waters of intolerance and progressive secularism that are going to dominate the headlines and dominate the educational systems and dominate the political systems of our world, it's why it is ever more important to invite people into the life of faith, the community of faith, bring someone to church, tell someone your story, most of all, pray for someone who you know needs Christ. I mean, really, that's the answer. And we're going to get that answer here in the life of David as we head into that segment of the deep end. And um, gosh, I almost don't even want to move on, but I need to. And I think, I think we're going to get something out of it. So, so let's go into the life of David. Okay, the title this week is How to Survive a Subversive Civil Revolution. That's kind of where we are. Uh, no matter when you're hearing this, I'm sure you're feeling it. Um, a subversive civil revolution is underway right now in the world. I think COVID-19 paved the way for a lot of this to happen. Uh, we have, again, smartphone technology and the isolation epidemic of our culture has paved the way for this to happen. Uh, the LGBT movement, the uh, secularization of our schools, the, uh, the forsaking of all things, you know, biblical. Uh, not saying that there was really great times in the past, not, not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there is, <laughs> there is this subversive civil revolution happening. How do you survive that? Well, David was experiencing that. And, I rem and if you remember from last week, Absalom had just decided to rally people around himself. This rebellious, young, handsome son was, you know, he murdered his brother Amnon who raped his sister. He was exiled by his, by his own will, really. David never reached out to him. Joab conspired to bring him back into the fold, I think, because Joab, as a government representative, was more passionate about the kingdom's power and strength than he was about the relationship between David and, and Absalom. And so I painted this picture, and I want to just remind you of it. There is a plan underway, I think, in every generation in some way to divide the family. And it's very important that you get this. The government is not the friend of the family. The government steps in when the family fails, unfortunately, and then it takes control of the society. And the best thing that a Christian can do for the government is raise a God-fearing family. Uh, it's a threat, though, to people who want government to get bigger. A God-fearing family with God-fearing children is a threat to government power ambitions. 
And so I want to put this on the screen. The plan to divide the family. Like David is representative of the parents. Absalom is representative of the wayward children. And right in the middle is Joab, this government representative who kind of, you know, he subversively tries to work things out as he sees fit between these two generations. And he's kind of on David's side, but he's also kind of on Absalom's side. And he kind of empowers Absalom to become this juvenile delinquent. And I said last week that only you could prevent, parents, only you can prevent juvenile delinquency. So the last verse that we left off with was verse 1 of 2 Samuel 15. Uh, after he is restored back to the kingdom and David doesn't listen to him or talk to him for two years. It says, after this, David got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. I'm sorry. David had just kissed him, actually. David just kissed him and kind of like did nothing to reprimand the boy. And so he sighs. He decides, you know what? I guess I got dad's blessing to be a rebellious child. I guess I got dad's blessing to be a brat. We talked about that parental apathy last week. Watch that video if you haven't. So no discipline, no questions about his actions, no calling him out, no requirement of repentance, and a monster is created. And this child, this Absalom, will seek to re-engineer the entire government and the entire civil order of Israel around himself. I hope you are listening very carefully because it's going to sound very familiar to where we are right now in modern-day America. So Absalom, again, he rallies himself 50 people, 50 men to run before him, and he gets himself a chariot and horses. Like, he makes a big deal out of himself. And then he decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to undermine the civil order of my society. You'll never guess the word. And you'll never guess the means by which he does this. Verse two, and Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. That's where the government officials would stand. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him what? <laughs> Justice. I can't wait to show you what I just filmed. I mean, look at what's going on right here. Do you, do you see it? Do you see it? I'm going to put it on the screen because you got to see it. How does Absalom begin to undermine the civil order of the society that had made him so wealthy and so blessed and really allowed him to get away with murder, did not discipline him, gave him participation trophies for everything he ever did, celebrated him on Instagram and his beauty and his hair would be measured and weighed and then sold and whoever knows what else would happen with this kid. And what does he do? He asks, what city are you from? Yeah. Yeah, where are you from? Uh, let's see. Oh, you're from that tribe. Hmm, too bad that you don't have an advocate. Oh, you're from that tribe. You see what he's doing? Dividing the people. Dividing the tribes of Israel against themselves. This is an incredible parallel to what's happening in our country right now. Verse 5. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's a politician, plain and simple. He's playing a political game. His, his aim to steal the hearts of the people, to divide the kingdom, to center the kingdom around himself, to glorify himself. Now, do not miss. Do not miss for one second what Absalom does. I want to put it on the screen so it is clear as day for you. You've, you've got to see it. By elevating their distinctions and differences and magnifying their complaints, Absalom divided the country. Do you see what's happened? What tribe are you from? Oh, you're from that tribe. Oh, you're from the tribe of Dan. That's way up to the north. Oh, too bad you're so far to the north. You know, you know, you really have rights. 
up there. And so my dad, he doesn't do nothing for you, you know. Yeah, you actually have a lot of rights that you're not actually taking advantage of. You you should get what you deserve. And he divides the country. He elevates their distinction. He elevates their differences. He elevates their divisions. And then he magnifies their complaints. That's exactly what's happening in America right now. Did you know 75 colleges and universities offer black-only graduation ceremonies? Oh, the black people have suffered so terribly in this country, so we need to give them a different graduation ceremony. That's called segregation. I don't know if you know that, but that's called segregation. Did you know that Columbia University and Ivy League school has up to seven graduation celebrations for whatever particular identity their, their students have? Did you know that Etsy has a, a page just devoted only for black-owned shops? How about Asian-owned shops? How about Hispanic? How about Native American-owned shops? If you visit the George Floyd Memorial area in Minneapolis today, you will see this sign dedicating the place as sacred, a place of grief, a place of protest. And I have no problem with that. But down below at the bottom of the sign, particular rules for who? White people. White people, don't, don't talk too much. Decenter yourself. Listen, learn, mourn, witness. Remember, you're here to support, not be supported. The first point on the list says, be mindful of whether your volume, pace, movements are supporting or undermining efforts to decenter yourself. I mean, <laughs> it's like lecturing, lecturing a whole tribe of people because after all, it's your fault that he died. And it, this is not helping. This is not working because on the anniversary of George Floyd's death, Dozens of shots rang out into the air and one person was injured just before memorial events were set to take place. <sighs> Elevating our differences and magnifying our complaints. And the entire civil order is disrupted. This was Absalom's ploy. It's amazing how history repeats itself. It's amazing how relevant the Bible is to this day. So he says, look, you need, you need justice. That is not justice. You need justice. You need someone who will stand for you. And uh, the text goes on. Verse seven. And at the end of four years, he does this for four years. Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I was lived in Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. Then he arose and went to Hebron. So Absalom is left and checked again by David. David doesn't ever say anything to this kid. Nothing. He's just the absentee, apathetic father. Verse 10. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom's with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. Do you know what it takes for a toxic civil revolution to come in and divide father from son, mother from daughter? Do you know what account, do you know what all it takes is one big dose of ignorance? That's why I do this show. That's why we talk about these things that are not politically correct from a biblical mindset. Because you can't afford to be ignorant of this. You've got to know what's, going, what's at stake. What's the ploy? What's the attacks? What's the, what's the minefields 
of society that your kids could fall into, that you could fall into. And how does Jesus save? Because he still saves. Anyway, back to the text, verse 12. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from the, his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Now, Absalom tar- targets this guy, Ahithophel. Why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because if Ahithophel was David's counselor, he was the guy respected in all the land. I want to put a scre- uh, verse on the screen here to show you what I mean. Verse 23 of 2 Samuel 16. Now, in those days, the council of Ahithophel was like the word of God. So all the council of Ahithophel was esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Everybody thought Ahithophel was the guru. Everybody thought Ahithophel was you know, the one to turn to. And so whoever got the voice of Ahithophel on their side would have the authoritative voice. Masks are not theater. Yeah, the authoritative voice that promises you, you know, things like... And to a nation waiting for action, let me be the clearest on this point. Help is on the way. Yeah, this idea that if we can get the voice of Ahithophel, and in this case, in this in this generation, is what? It's, you know, I've done this before, right? Yes, science! Yeah, science is that authoritative voice. And so science is on our side, right? Well, you know, it's science kind of today. Now it's more like feelings. But there's always that, there's always that voice that everybody thinks is right in a culture. And whoever gets that voice seems to be the one who takes control of the culture. In medieval times, it would have been the church, believe it or not. It would have been the Pope. In the modern times, it was science. In postmodern times, it was personal identities. Today, it's entertainers and celebrities. Like, oh, what are they saying? Oh, they're saying it? Like, I finally saw Stephen Colbert was confronted about the Wuhan lab leak theory by his comedian friend, John Stewart, and he had nothing to say. He was like, oh, oh, John Stewart's saying it. Well, he's a comedian. He must know what he's talking about. Like, this guy who was told the line of, no, it's not a lab leak theory, suddenly acquiesces to his comedian friend, John Stewart, who is not a scientist. But you know what? That's what we are. That's the culture we are, a culture of entertainers and celebrities who fall for anything. And so Hithophel represents this in the days of Absalom's rebellion. And please remember, and this is important, please remember that division occurs when we put too much weight on the opinion of one subset of the population. This is how you get authoritarianism. This is how you get authoritarianism when one profession is elevated above all others or one ideal is, is, is elevated above all others. So going on in the text, verse 13, a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to his, all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us and quickly bring down, bring, and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. David hears about the rebellion and the people's hearts and he does no investigation here. He just hears the message and he gets scared to death and runs. Let me interject something here, Christians. There are many people who hold your views. Let me, let me say something to the people who are biblical Christians. You are not alone. You are not in the minority. You are not the weirdo. You are actually a person of the truth, a person of the light. And there are many, many millions of people in this country and billions of people in this world who hold your views. And you do not need to be ashamed and you do not need to live in fear and you do not need to feel isolated or alienated. You have got to get into a church. You've got to get into a small group. You've got to get to know people who hold the same views as you, who love God and love Jesus and want to make a difference in the world in his name. And that's how you will counter this attack of the messengers of the world that are speaking the loudest and the most often so that you can stand strong in the faith. David doesn't do that. 
He hears the report of one messenger and he runs for his life. Uh, back to the text, verse 15. And the, king said to, uh, and the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left 10 concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him and they halted at the last house. And all his servants, verse 18, all the servants passed by him. All the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all 600 Gittites who had followed him from where? From Gath. They passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Aren't you glad you're not reading this text? <laughs> Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us since I go not since I go, I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. So notice a couple of things. First off, these are men from where? From Gath. Who else was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. And remember that David hung out with the Philistines for a few years when Saul was still king, and he made some friends there. And these guys got attached to David, heart and soul. And so when David leaves, these men, these fighting warriors from Gath, by the way, they're probably tall giants because that's what the land of Gath was. These fierce warriors are heart and soul with David. And then there's Ittai the Gittite, who arrived yesterday and wants to follow David out of the land because his heart's with David, not with the land. This is, okay, <laughs> I'm going to get something good. I'm going to get to something good. I hope you are ready for this. This is good. This is good. Let's go on. But Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord, the king lives, when, wherever my Lord, the king shall be. Mm. Wherever you are, death or life, there your servant will be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. David's going into no man's land. He's leaving the land of milk and plenty. He's leaving the land of milk and honey. The, man, the land where there's blessing and, and bounty and Absalom is taken over. And the men of Gath who fought with him and the servants of his house who loved him and Ittai who just recently migrated to the nation for him. Do not stay in the land. They follow the king. Can I say something? This is so important that you get so cool. I love this point from the text. Are you ready for it? The true followers of King David will follow the king, not the country. Ooh. The true followers of the king, okay? They're going to follow the king, not the country. My friends, we are being asked that right now. You're going to follow the country or you're going to follow the king? Will you follow the loudest voice? Will you follow the high-minded voice? Will you follow the educated voice? Will you follow the entertaining voice? Or will you follow the king? Make no mistake, Jesus is certain about one thing. His sheep will follow him. This is out of his own mouth. John chapter 10, verse 2. Look what it says here. It says, he who enters, Jesus saying, he who enters by the door is the, sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay? To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not follow the voice. They do not know the voice of strangers. I love this verse. This verse might be my favorite verse in all the Gospel of John because it's a promise, friend. If you're his sheep, you hear his voice and you follow him and you know his voice and you will not, you will not follow 
a stranger's voice. This is so powerful. My salvation, the work of the Spirit in me, has aligned my spiritual ears, spiritual ears to the voice of my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I will be able to sniff, I will be able to sniff falsehoods. And I will be able to call them out for what they are. It's so powerful. Jesus goes on actually in that chapter later on in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Who will listen to his voice? The other sheep that are not of the fold of Israel. They, these are the Gentiles. That's me. Okay, that's you if you're not a Jew. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. In other words, Christians, this is the hope of our faith is no matter the noise of the culture and the country, I know that I will follow Jesus because the Holy Spirit is in me and he will not lead me astray and he will lead me to all truth and righteousness. So let me ask you this question. Let me put this uh, point up on the screen again, but with a different name. The true followers of King Jesus will follow the king and not the country. Mm. the true followers of king jesus will follow the king and not the country in the midst of this cultural revolution that we find ourselves in if you were a follower of jesus you will sniff it out for what it is you will sniff it out for the falsehood that what that it is you might not have all the you know language to frame it up you might not be able to defend it verbally to somebody who doesn't believe like you but you will be able to say i just know that that's not right i don't know what it is but something inside me and it's the holy spirit something inside me tells me that that's just not the way to go and that's the voice of your shepherd. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a son of God through Jesus Christ, you will only and ever only follow the king. Let's go on. Verse 24. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring you back and let me see both it and this dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Okay, I want to just say something here about this text because this is important as well. Uh, probably just as important as any of the other texts that we have talked about here uh, today, which, which is that David has resigned himself to let the ark stay in the nation because, because, this is very important, listen, because he's saying... God will go with me. I'm not going to mess with the ark. I already learned that lesson back with Uzzah when he touched it and he died because I didn't think about how we should transport the ark. But David here says, listen, I'm going to let God be God. If he wants to bring me back, okay, he is going to bring me back. And, and maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you know what? This, this is God's discipline. I, I remember Nathan telling me that this is what happened in my family because of my sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so this might be, very well be the discipline of God in my life. And I'm not going to manipulate God. I'm not going to manipulate his word and his truth. You priests, stay in Jerusalem, do your job, keep the ark there. Don't mess with that. And let God do with me what he wants to do with me. I want to put it on the screen because this is the thought that I think David has. This may be God's discipline. And if so, let me receive it. For I need it and I will grow from it. We talked about this last week. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord disciplines for our good that we might share in his holiness. Hebrews 12, verse 10. And I think right here, David is saying, you know what? Maybe I need discipline. So let me unpack this for America 2021 Christians. Maybe the secularization and the anti-Christian sentiment coming from the progressive secularists in our culture is going to be used to discipline our disciplined church to weed out the, tr the, 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 the false believers and to develop and strengthen the true believers 
to hunger not for the things of this world because it would become blatantly obvious how utterly corrupt they are, but to hunger and thirst for the things of God. That's what I think is, that's what I think is the good from all of this secular, you know, progress. That's, God is shaping us to be people who love his word and his truth and love less the things of this world. I think that that might be the best benefit from a growing antithesis toward Christian faith in this country. Anyway, going on, verse 27. The king also said to Zadok, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahamazaz, your son, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the forge of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carry the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remain there. Now, David's trying to set up some kind of, you know, communique here between what's going on in the palace and what's going on out in the wilderness. And he's setting up the priest to do this. But but moving on, verse, 13, verse 30. David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. In other words, like David is probably freaking out. Like he's got Ahithophel, that's it. You know, the word of Ahithophel is like the word of God, everybody. So God, I pray that you make Ahithophel's words like foolishness. Now, David prays this in verse 31. Now watch this. This is so cool. Verse 32, while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. So that's a symbol for depression because Hushai's heard what's happening with Absalom rebelling and undermining and subverting the government. And David is leaving the city. And so he comes to David and he's weeping, he's crying. And David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been to your father's servant, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the council of Hithophel. This is incredibly important. And it's not something you should just skip over because here's what David is doing. David just prayed, God, please let the advice of Ahithophel be as foolishness in the ears of Absalom. And the and then he worships. Don't miss that. He goes up to the summit where God was worshipped. So he prays, which is what we can do in this situation and what we can do in this society. He prays for God to give foolishness to those who are in charge and subverting the culture. And then he asks for a way for that to happen. And as he worships God, God answers him by bringing this guy Hushai along. And David says, Hushai, you know, you, you, you're an old guy. You, you've been in this for a long time. If you come with me, it's going to be hard. You're going to be actually a burden to me. But here's how you can help me. You can go back into the palace and you can work under Absalom and you can subvert the advice of Ahithophel. It's an amazing thing. Like David's not just passively just escaping. He's also kind of like strategically thinking and praying and letting God start to build some some fortifications for what he believes and what he needs. This is this is really cool. And I hope you don't miss it because David models something here for Christians in our country that we need to embrace. Number one, God might be disciplining us. Number two, God will make a way for us to seem wise in an age of foolishness. And number three, I think that God's going to give us voice in the halls of power that are going to subvert the halls of power and their attacks upon Christian freedom. I, 
That's how I read it. You might read it differently, but that's how I read it. And I think there's a great amount of hope there. Verse 35, are not Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? So whenever you hear the king's, whenever, so whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So David's got this, like, you know, this subversive Morse code system set up now. Like, you're going to send me news. Now, turning to chapter 16. Here's what it says. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled. Remember who he was? Mephibosheth's uh, servant. He was a servant of Saul, and then and then David makes him the servant of Mephibosheth. And so you had to think that Ziba always kind of like had a little bit of an attitude about this because now he has to serve this lame, crippled son, and he has to give him all his property and all, you know, work the land for Mephibosheth's benefit. Now he comes out. He sees David is running for his life, and he comes out with all this stuff. He comes out bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And he said, and the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Okay. Ziba's kind of like currying favor from the king here. He's trying to like play politics. He's trying to say, okay, I got an opening here. I can get out of Mephibosheth's, you know, enslavement of me and my family, and I can take over again. Let me grease the skids with David as he's in a mist of, des of despair. And David doesn't know what to do. He's fighting for his life. And so here's what he says in verse 3. The king said, where's your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? He said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said today, the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. This is a lie. And you're going to find that out later on in the passage. But Ziba is totally manipulating David here. He's trying to manipulate David. And then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. So he has to deal with the voice of Ziba, who is manipulating him. And he doesn't know. He takes it on face value. And he responds, you know, just face value. He doesn't, he doesn't understand. Just kind of responds. Just kind of reacts. He reacts again to another guy. Look at this verse, verse 5. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said to, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. David's got to really take some lumps here as he's fleeing for his life and trying to save his kingdom, trying to save his life, trying to save his people. And now he's getting cursed by another former uh, fan alliance member of King Saul. So his past is kind of coming back to haunt him. And when you're in the midst of these cultural revolutions, when you're in the midst of this civil conflict, when you're in the midst of these seriously confusing times, it can feel like that. And I just want you to see how David responds to Shimei's uh, attacks. First, we see what Abishai does. Then Abishai, verse 9, the son of Jeriah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, son of Zeriah? Remember, Zeriah's son, Joab, was also a man of much blood and liked to kill people without asking questions. And so Abishai is no different. If he is cursing, David said, if, he's curse, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, what a, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be, verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look upon the wrong he has done to me and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road 
Well, Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. And that's going to be the last verse that we read today. But I, I just look at looking at David's response to the curses of Shimei, to the undermining of Ziba, to the, the civil discord sown by his own son Absalom. He is in a mess. He is attacking all sides. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your own personal life, your own personal world? I know I'm talking about global issues with the church, but have you ever been there personally? Like you've really just been felting like feeling like you've just been attacked on all sides. And, and what do you do when all these voices are just like, you know, just coming at you from every angle? David was there and he models for something here that is of infinite importance. Infinite importance. Look at the text again. It says, that he was at the Jordan and he refreshed himself there. Remember the Jordan is the place where the Israelites crossed over into the promised land. It's also the ancient place where Joshua met the angel right before the battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter five. And he asked the angel, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And the angel says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now take off your sandals from where you are standing because the place where you're standing is holy. I believe that David had an encounter with God there. I believe that David refreshed himself in a fresh encounter with God. And I believe that he may have gone down to that river. It doesn't say in the text, but I think he got down to that Jordan River and he took off his sandals again. He took off his sandals and he said, God, be God. And here's, what, here's the point that I want to leave you with. When we are stressed and hard pressed, the answer is always surrender to God. David does not know what his future holds. He does not know what Absalom's going to do. He does not know who's going to stay with him and who's going to leave. And he does not know what's going to become of the kingdom that he worked so hard for. But he knows this. God's in control. And you're never going to go wrong when you surrender to the one who created you. I think about Paul the Apostle who didn't want to leave Jerusalem. He actually wanted to go into Jerusalem. He wanted to bring the gospel to the Jews. And uh, it's in Acts chapter 20, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders of the church that he started there in this, in this pagan Gentile city. And he says, I got to go back to Jerusalem where this whole movement started. I got to bring the gospel to my people because I have a heart and a burden for them. And the people are like, no, don't do it. And he says, no, listen, I, I, I'm all right. I'll be, I'm prepared to suffer. And he says this in Acts chapter two, 20, verse 22, he says, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing at all what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life at any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He says, man, I got a, I got a course to run. I got a job to do for God. I know what my life is about. I know what he put me on this planet for. He may discipline me through this, he may prune me through this, but he will never leave me. And that's why I surrender to him. I don't account my life. Look, what does it say? I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. I just want to do what God called me to do. What do you do in the middle of a civil revolution that might be presently happening in your country, American Christian? You surrender to God. You give him your life afresh and new. You say, God, have your way. Do what you want. So let's finish this off with some points because I kind of leave some points with you. Some final thoughts. God's plan in times of pressure. Don't be surprised that the world does press you. Don't be surprised that they want to, you know, rob you of your right of thought, your right of belief, marginalize you, ostracize you, vilify you. How dare you Christians not go along with the cultural mandates of our, of our current cult of sexuality, Right. Number two, listen to the voice of your shepherd. It's the only one that matters and the only one that's going to make sense to you. So you got to listen closely 
for Jesus? Are you in a church? Are you abiding in him? Are you spending time in the word? Are you in a small group? Are you talking to other Christians? Number three, ignore the noise and the naysayers and the haters. Ignore the noise of the naysayers and the haters. There's going to be haters no matter where you go, no matter what you do. No matter how you live, you're going to be hated by somebody. Somebody's going to have something to say about you no matter what you do. You got to learn to ignore that because those voices don't matter. They don't. And don't entertain them, by the way, on social media. Don't respond. Don't comment back. Just leave them. Bless and do not curse. And then number four, surrender yourself to the discipline and plan of God. Like, God, you are in charge. God, you are God, and I am not. And so if this is discipline, then this is discipline. I'm okay with that, Lord. I will receive that. I thank you for your grace and your mercy in my life. I'm going to tell you something. If this is how you approach your trouble, your pressure, you will never, ever go wrong. Never, ever. I'm telling you. God will be with you and God will strengthen you. God will empower you and God will strength and God will supply every need that you have. We're going to see that in the life of David later on. We're going to see how he approaches all these people who hated him and how he deals with everybody that, you know, kind of turns on him. It's an amazing story. Be back here next time uh, on the, on the, on the deep end. Um, I'm excited to share more and more with you, but listen, head on over if you would from now on to timhatchlive.com and especially youtube.com youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. That's the new channel. That's where we're going from now on. YouTube.com slash Tim Hatch Live and the website timhatchlive.com. Like, subscribe, hit the thumbs up. Let me know below where you're watching from, what you thought about the episode. If you have any questions for 10 Questions with Tim on next Thursday, uh, this was episode 27 of season four on the deep end. And it's not the last one. We got many more to do as we close out this series on the life of David, but I hope to see you here next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. The Deep End is brought to you by listeners and viewers just like you. Consider giving today. Hey, if you don't have a home church, come and check us out at one of our campuses. Visit waterschurch.org and you can find a time and location that fits your schedule. Tune in next week for The Deep End with Tim Hatch.